Christianity today. We have watered down the gospel and watered down what it means to be a Christian so much that we don't realize that when you come to Christ, there's a change that's supposed to happen. Things are different thanks to Calvary. Amen. All right. Today we're continuing in the book of John. Um, We're going to talk about some specific promises that are in this particular scripture. And as today is about promises, let me tell you a little story about a balloonist who's about to break his promise. There was a hot air balloonist and he got blown way off course. And realizing how lost he was, he decided to lower the altitude to see if he could get some help from someone on the ground. He saw a large wilderness expanse, but luckily he noticed a hiker, and so he called out to the hiker. He said, hello, I was supposed to meet my friends hours ago, but unfortunately I got blown off course and have no idea where I am. Can you help me? Well, the hiker replies, you're floating about 25 feet above a small clearing in the Allegheny National Forest, and you're about an hour and a half north of my campsite. Well, frustrated, the balloonist yells down, you must be an engineer. Well, how did you know that? The hiker responded with surprise. Well, the balloonist said, because while everything you said is technically true, it's of absolutely no use to me and I am still lost. (laughs) And the, the engineer hollers back. I get it. You must be a contractor, says the hiker. Well, how'd you know that? The balloonist responded, equally surprised. Well, you don't know where you are or where you're going. You've made promises you can't keep, and you're in the exact same position you were in before we met. But now it's my fault. If you're, a, if you're an engineer or a contractor, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. The Gospel of John was written about A.D. 90 to A.D. 100. <clears throat> Scholars believe that John wrote uh, his three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, in the book of Revelation around the same time frame as he wrote this gospel. The gospel of John was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written down and were starting to circulate amongst the churches. It is dubbed by many scholars as the spiritual gospel. John chapter 10, verse 22, I'll start out in the New King James, and it reads, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered him, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? And if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified, 
and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about, this man were true. And many believed him in there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I ask that, Lord, if you can use a donkey, that you would use me this morning, that your word would go forth, and that there would be power, and there would be change in our hearts and in our lives. There would be conviction. This is the part of the service, Lord, where you call us to not only repentance, but you call us to work for you. And Lord, we ask that as we remember these, who our one is, as we begin to think about who we're going to talk to this week, someone new about Jesus and about what you've done in, in, in our lives and how wonderful you are, those spiritual conversations. Lord, we ask that you would help us to find that right person and that we would be faithful to share the kingdom and then invite to church. And we thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. The strong Son of God in the church said, Amen. You know, Jesus has given us great promises, and guess what? You should believe in him. Now, that's not too hard to understand, is it? Jesus has given us great promises, and you should believe in him. Well, what are the promises that Jesus gives us here in this particular scripture reference that we're looking at today? Well, number one, let's look at verse uh, 22 again, and this time out of the New Living Translation. And it says, It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple, walking through the section known at Solomon's colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus replied, I've already told you. You don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand and the Father and I are one. You know, the Feast of Dedication is a feast to honor the repurification and reconstruction of the temple in Jerusalem, where a man named Judas Maccabeus dedicated the new altar. You see, before that time, it had, been it had to be rededicated because Antiochus Epiphanes, a conqueror, came in and he desecrated the old altar of God by decreeing pagan sacrifices on it. So it had to be destroyed. And rebuilt. So Jesus is walking around, and the people, as you know, are deeply divided about him. They want him to speak plainly whether or not he is the Messiah. 
You ever get those people sometimes, they just never speak plainly? They answer a question and then they, they go all the way around the question before they ever get to the question. And by the time they get to the answer of the question, you forgot what the question was. Much less the answer to the question. Yeah, they're called politicians. <laughs> and we're coming into the season for that. And that's as far as I'm going on that. And if it were me or you, we would have probably answered pretty plainly. Uh, it's answered the people, yes or no, right? Well, either one would have gotten us in trouble. So Jesus knows better than we do. Um, Jesus' answer is, is a lot more detailed and a little bit veiled to them at this time because it was not yet his time. But Jesus replied, I've already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name, but you don't believe me. Because you are not my sheep, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Here's that first promise. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. There's another promise. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else and no one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Jesus already told them as much and gave them the signs to prove it, yet they still don't believe him. And there are many people you'll come across, and even today, who will see signs of God's work in your life and see that you're a completely different person because of Calvary, and yet they still don't believe. And they won't. But Jesus says that those who do believe will receive a promise, the promise of eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? Eternal life has a beginning but no end. You see... You're going to cross over into eternity and you're either going to have life or death. When this life is over, you choose which it's going to be. But you choose it now on earth by choosing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. We are all going to die one day. Some of us sooner than others. And when we pass over into eternity, where will you spend it? Heaven or hell? You see, it's not popular to say that there is a hell today or that there is a hell that's eternal. But let me tell you, Jesus talked more about hell than he ever did about heaven because he didn't want you to go there. Jesus was setting before them an old choice, yet a new one. You see, life is found only in Christ. Salvation comes by way of his crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's an old choice and that God has already given the Jews this choice back in Deuteronomy. Did you know that? He gave them a choice. He said in Deuteronomy 30, 19, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and on earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Same choice in Jesus. He also promises the believer that will not be snatched away from his hand. We can't be taken away. The promise we know he can keep because he just said that he and the Father are one. And if they are one, then there is no one higher in all of creation or outside of creation that can take us from his hand, is there? 
No one can snatch us away. Romans 8.31 tells us, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Amazing that he can say that. Overwhelming victory. No matter what comes against us, no matter if we're hungry, no matter if we're persecuted, no matter if we're put to death by the sword or things get taken from us, God has given us the victory through Jesus Christ in all of eternity. Amen. And I am convinced, it says, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whoo! Nothing can separate us. Who can separate us from his love? Nothing and no one. But we need to make sure that we're truly a part of his sheepfold before we can rest in that promise. Make sure you're his. You know, this reminded me of an old hymn written by Martin Luther back in the 1500s, 1600s, in that time. And it's called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I'm going to read some of the words and I want you to listen to it and think about it, internalize it. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sebaoth is his name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let gods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, 
God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Amen. His kingdom is forever. So we've got these promises. Why should we believe him? Why should we believe him? John 10, 31. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And they replied, we're stoning you not for any good works, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus replied, it is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods, and you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if the people who received God's messages were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the Son of God? After all, the Father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. Even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. He went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was first baptizing, and he stayed there a while. And many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another. But everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. So Jesus is causing yet another uproar among the Jews because he claims to be God. So much so they take rocks to stone him to death, yet he asks for what work or miracle are you going to stone me? None, they reply. But because he is a man who makes himself equal with God. Did you know that there's a movement in the world where they literally tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God? Well, let me tell you something. They're wrong. He claimed it right here. He claims he is God. You know what? He is God. To deny the deity of Christ is to deny the gospel. He is God. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think... of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then you've got this wonderful part that Jesus quotes in Psalm 82, 6. He says, I say you are gods, you are all children of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. This psalm is talking about human rulers, like a magistrate. God is calling on the rulers to be just and to to remember that it is he who makes all judgments, not them. It is he who makes all judgments correctly and that human rulers would do well to judge rightly or suffer consequence. In this psalm, the magistrate is called a God, lowercase g, not big G meaning that he has power over other human beings, but it is himself subject to God with an uppercase G. 
He must be sure that while he yields much power as a leader among men, he is nowhere near as powerful as God himself. By using the scripture in the Old Testament, Jesus calls the Jews to remember that the scripture uses the same term to describe people who aren't God but merely have power over others. And if they aren't God, yet God calls them as a type before men, how much more does this term apply to the one who truly is God in the flesh? If that be the case, then why could they stone him? Well, you wouldn't, for he said nothing wrong, has he? Upon hearing this, the people attempt to arrest him, to bring his case before the rulers. But Jesus escapes rather than let himself be captured. Yet from this group, many followed him because of the testimony of John the Baptist. And everything John said would come to pass about the Messiah, Jesus fulfilled. And this is why we can follow him today. He fulfilled every prophecy of the first coming. There's not one prophecy about that first coming that has not been fulfilled, period. We can trust that the testimony is true as the prophecies span hundreds of years throughout multiple books of the Bible and they all confirm one thing, that Jesus is the living Savior of the world, the second in the Trinity. He is God made manifest in the flesh, the one who died for our sins and rose again on the third day. That is the gospel. That is the gospel that changes people's lives. If you can believe that, then your life can be changed. You know, it's an amazing thing to watch God change a life. You see, the circumstances on the outside haven't changed, but all of a sudden, everything on the inside, it's new, it's welling up, it's, it's brand new, new things are happening, and they're, they're understanding Scripture, and they're putting into practice what they find there. And as they change their lives because of the love of Christ, you see that their exterior circumstances just begin to fall away, and new things happen. Wonderful things happen. And other persecutions can come because of that as well. Because you are a Christian. And there's coming a day in this country where you will be persecuted not only for your faith, but you will die for your faith. The more and more as we become less and less of a Christian nation, the more and more persecution will rise up against us. The question is, is are you sure that you're sure that you know him? Because not only does it come with eternal promises, but also, are you sure you would die for him? There's a story as the singers come of a Roman soldier as the church was getting started in the first century. They took the Christians and they stripped them naked. And they stuck them in the middle of an ice frozen lake. And on the shore, they put nice hot baths. And they said, if you would denounce Christ and worship Caesar, you can have one of these baths. One man did. He came up and got in the bath. One Roman soldier stripped down and took his place. He said, if you're willing to die... For your Savior, 
then that's a Savior I want to know. I want to know Him. I'm willing to die for Him. And so He did. And so did everyone else on that lake. Froze to death. But they woke up in glory. They woke up in heaven. They woke up in victory. Because there is victory in Jesus. Not just words we sing, but a living change in our lives. A truth that cannot be stamped out. Not even by death. Do you know him? Whether you're here, watching online, or listening by podcast, do you know him? Are you sure? If not, all it takes is Jesus, help I want to know you. It's not the exact words that come out of your mouth, but the change in the heart that is wrought as you surrender. Jesus, I give you my life. Secondly, Christian, sitting in the pews, online, podcast, are you sharing him? Are you sharing him? I know a lot of you are. Are you sharing him? If you're online and you have shared or had a spiritual conversation with somebody about Jesus, you go ahead and send me an email or make a comment on the video and we'll put you a ball up here too so that we can pray for you. We just write their name on the ball. All you need is a first name. And at the end of the year, we're going to come back, we're going to look and see what God has done in the lives of these individuals. Christian, are you sharing? You need to. You need to. If you want to come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you're here today, you come right on up. I'll introduce you to him. I can't save you, but he can. I got no magic words, but I do can share with you a relationship with Jesus. If you need special prayer, you can come up at this time and do that too. The Bible says if one could put a thousand to flight, two could put ten thousand to flight. Or two or more agree touching anything according to God's will, He gives it to us. If you'd like to join this church by letter, statement, or baptism, you can let us do that too as we stand and sing the invitation hymn. Miss Joe.